you know, fucking shit lips. Just, just gonna say it. I don't think it's controversial on this podcast. Oh, yes, no. (laughs) We have had a very strong anti-land defender policy in the past, and that will not change, even with um, new co-hosts. Hi. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat. What? Why? Why would you ever suggest the idea of just making landlord monopolies? Why? Not landlord monopolies, landlord cartels. Uh, that's just regional monopolies. Clearly somebody actually enjoyed playing Monopoly, also known as the Landlord's Game, for the nerds out there. Mm-hmm. So what you're telling me is they had no childhood. Yeah, essentially. Or they had a very conflicted childhood. I mean, Monopoly... And, you know, family art uh, harmony. I'm sorry, it, it does not work. So it yeah, just before doesn't... we get too lost, here's what we're talking about. Matthew Iglesias, the known notorious shit lib, massive shit poster, had mm-hmm. this to say about rent. It's not going to happen, but I know it would kind of be better. If 80% of a nation's housing stock were owned by like seven giant national landlording franchises, and the normal way for families to live was to sign a long-term lease with some kind of rural termination option. So... You know, this is why I like our free robot voice. Yeah. So, let's see. Um... Seven landlords. Terra technically means land. Seven Terra lords. <laughs> they would have all of the power in the United States because, you know, obviously controlling the landlord cartel um, would give you a lot of power. Oh, God. We just created the High Lords of Terra. <laughs> 40k speedrun. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not even slowing down, apparently. There Just, is only nonsense <sighs> under the Milwaukee sun. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I never thought the shit libs could make landlording and private property worse, but Yeah. You know, there there goes my optimism. Look, it's your duty to be conscripted into the hive. I mean, everyone has seen how Time Warner has worked out. Like, cartels and essential industries are just good. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? (laughs) Especially when your name is Murdoch. (sighs) So yeah. Welcome to Chop Shop Economics. We read this shit so you don't have to. With me today, um, I'm Miss Silver. Um... Our Doc. Hello. And Villainous. Uh, introduce yourself. Um, yes, my name is Villainous, and I, I am here filling in temporarily for everyone's beloved Harley Quinn. Yeah. <sighs> well, you know, if the vibes are fucked, the vibes are fucked. Nothing you can do about it. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. That's why I missed um, your uh, last introduction. Um, I don't know when that episode's going to go up, but, you know, um, you did a pretty good job. So we're going to try you out for the weekly. Um, hopefully this goes well. Um, and we are very sorry about the whole uh, hiatus thing. But, like, you know, circumstances beyond our control. A lot of us just, you know, everything it, This got shit fucked. is really <laughs> hard to read, you know, just to put it out there. The, mm-hmm. it, it is, like, I dispute the notion of economics as it is practiced by people like the University of Chicago being a science, but the, the dismal mm-hmm. part is pretty accurate. Yeah. I mean, it's very much... This is painful. And we we suffer for you. We stare into the abyss so you don't have to. Yeah. And sometimes we just... We just aren't up for it. Um, Life gets in the way and when all is said and done... It's fucked. Incidentally, we do have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Chop Shop Economics. Toss in a fiver and you get to listen to us doing this twice a week for you because apparently we really hate ourselves um yeah or we want to riff on movies you know either or Um, sometimes both (laughs) so you might remember from our last episode about the boat Um, now, they have done something very despicable, and they have gotten the boat moving again. This is, of course, completely unacceptable. Um, the boat was supposed to stay there for several weeks and then get blown up. <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> because the Ever Given gives and the Ever Given takes in equal amounts. <sighs> Yes. Uh, but they're going to be taking away all the potential memes the Ever Given could have ever given. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've been sitting on that one for a week. Well, yeah. it's a small price to pay, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. They got the Global boat. capital... Something about global capitalism falling apart because a boat got stuck in the Suez Canal. Yeah, you it's know. you know it's not comprehensible compared to most of the esoteric bullshit we normally cover. Boat is stuck. Boat Stuff is stuck. can't move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like you know, it's completely jammed into the canal, or it was until the bastard set it free. Um, I gotta give credit to the crew for managing to not just get stuck, but completely T-bone across the Suez Canal is just, this is just levels of fail that (laughs) no one could have possibly conceived. And if you were watching this story because, you know, you crave the line going down, don't worry. Don't worry. There will 
there will be fallout, and we will discuss it. Um, well, I do want to give know. a shout out to that. I forget who it was, but there was just that one shit lib that was. I don't know, that really narrows it down, but one that was, like, commenting about the Ever Given and being like, it really says something that half the, but like, public is cheering on that this ship is stuck in the Suez Canal and is fucking over the global economy. I mean, it's the same impulse that brought about Brexit and Trump and a lot of other things. GameStop! The system, yeah, if the... If nobody will do anything about the crises that affect us all, then at some point, people are going to want to stick a thumb in the eye of the fucking government, of the fucking economy, of these unresponsive systems that don't seem to feel any pain. You just want to shove your fucking thumb into the eyeball and make them cry. Well, yeah. I mean, hell, that's why I do it. Of course. So, of course, hell. these systems have been responding with please ask again later. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, it's, they should not yeah. be surprised at our responses fuck you. No matter how incoherent it is. Like, we're the ones that are having to do shit like, hey, I've got the second vaccine, now it's safe to go wait tables and maybe not get the COVID. Because mm-hmm. that pays the student debt. Yeah. It's all stuff like that. Uh, and I guess how the fuck do I introduce this? After it's- the resolution of the ever given well, I mean, I guess it sort of fits in the category of shit that really isn't that surprising. Mm-hmm. Like, so it turns out, to the shock of no one, and you know what, full disclosure, we do regularly use Bloomberg as a source for this podcast. Granted, we use all kinds of various esoteric means that our lawyers have insisted we not describe on air to get around the paywall, but... <laughs> we do use Bloomberg because they've got the inside scoop on what the hell's going on in finance like nobody else does. Because um, everyone does. They have an 80 fucking percent monopoly on financial news in, on Wall Street. Um, there is a literal machine they sell to get you that news early so that you can do this. But there's a way to do that even earlier if you know somebody. Which should surprise no one, because, hey, capitalism. But Mm -hmm. apparently, a bunch of Bloomberg News reporters have been caught facilitating insider trading, which is, you know, incredibly illegal when your name is Martha Stewart and not when your name is Enron. Yep. Gasp. (laughs) Only billionaires need apply. This is not for mere millionaires. You have to be in the three comma club for the rules to stop applying to you. If you're using a Reddit to game the market, that is a catastrophe and requires immediate intervention. If your name is Bill Gates and you don't want to lose at the stock races today, that's a polite request. Mm-hmm. Of course, Bill so, Gates yeah. knows the magic words and those magic words are, hi, I have money. 
and own Congress people. Pretty much. Ah, fuck. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is... I, I think anyone listening to this podcast is not surprised by this. That the people whose job is to help fix the races on Wall Street are selling tips to the betters. Yeah. I mean, it's like, if you have... This particular one concerned merger and acquisition data. Like... If you know when a story is going to drop, you can make some serious trades. And all you got to do is cut in that reporter on, you know, some sweet, sweet information, some sweet, sweet stock in exchange for getting the story early. That's earlier than the terminal. That's earlier than, you know, the people who peer beyond the paywall and that's earlier than it shows up on sites like CNBC. You gotta be really early for the good trades. And apparently oh, yeah. this guy was too early. <laughs> Whoopsie. Whoops. It's not like Mikey Mike hasn't encouraged this mentality on Wall Street for since the 80s, though. Oh, yeah. So he doesn't really get to complain. I mean, I don't think anyway. Like, <laughs> really, this is somebody who's following the example that Bloomberg has set for how he thinks everything should work. Yeah. But you and see... it's like, you know, they they technically say that you're not supposed to do this. You are not supposed to be specific on the timing of publication um, is the exact words. And it turns out if you disobey that rule and you're clever and lucky, yeah, you can make a lot of money. <laughs> Which, you know, again, hi, under capitalism, when everything is a fucking commodity, things like, you know, professional ethics become a commodity to be put on the auction block. Oh yeah, we need to have ethical derivatives, or how can we know how much ethics are worth so that we can, you know, determine how much we should sell out for? Yeah. Exactly. You gotta securitize that shit. You and me? We can't sell out because there's nobody to sell out to. These people, oh, they can, selling out has a price for them. A price tag that can be paid. Well yeah, they sold their souls for that power. They might as well get mm-hmm. something worth it, for, I guess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. And so, I mean, it's like, you know, th- what's more shocking is that, you know, this sort of stuff is, isn't more common. But it's like, you know, when you've got a company that's got basically a monopoly on reporting this sort of news, yeah, of course some of these people are going to be on the fucking take. Like, how shocking is that, really? It is, like, there's a reason why Congress, among other, like, legislative bodies around the world, have enacted laws that on paper, make it illegal to bribe foreign officials. 
Because you know what? Under capitalism, there is an in, there can be this thing called market incentives to just say, fuck it, we're going to slip this guy an extra 20 because that gives us a leg up on the competition. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the reality is, at least from my perspective, is that it's not shocking that this happened or is happening. I'm more shocked that it got caught. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds very much like this guy made trades that were a little too obvious, and he had a pattern of doing so. Like, this kind of thing, you score, and then you fucking disappear. Don't don't play with this penny ante shit. Or you try to do, like, the office space thing of, it's like, a percentage of each trade that is so infinitesimal that they won't notice it instead of going oh wait fuck we're siphoning like pennies off the dollar (laughs) well they made a big oops (laughs) yeah speaking of oopses Oh boy. Yep. <sighs> Why? <laughs> it's. I mean, you can see it. It's written in, like, big bloody letters on the wall, but it's another thing for people in power to actually be saying it. Yeah. Especially the CDC director. Yep. Yep, doom. Nice short word. I think we got a clip for that. Doomed! And end clip? Yeah. Something like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, so, basically, the CDC director is impending doom because apparently this whole um, reopening because we have vaccines now thing that's not working quite as well as they were hoping I mean when your hopes are based off people like our new fantabulous president going out and saying children can't spread the virus and the CDC (laughs) director releasing a pest crop a press conference about how we're golden right as the CDC is releasing a report about, hey, the, the new wave's coming, and it's coming soon. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think that's less hope and more just, you know, lies to get you out there to die on the altar of capitalism. <laughs> like, because let's be real, like, one thing I will, like, I mean, no question Trump's entire approach COVID was like atrocious and stupid and wrong and dumb but he was right in a very bourgeois being a little too gauche in public when he said the economy's not meant to shut down cause yeah he's right this capitalist system cannot stop squeezing blood out of stones Yeah, if it does it runs into serious problems around being able to function. 
like you cannot just simply turn the economy off and on again. I know it works for like computers and such, for cars, for all sorts of mechanical things, but we're not allowed to do it with our economy. Too many things just break. As you know, the Ever Given beautifully demonstrated. Oh yeah. Like a boat gets jammed up for like a fucking week and like, you know, that's the end of all Suez based trade. Cloudy with a chance of stockbrokers, if you will. <laughs> so uh, just imagine, you know, I mean, and we've been talking about this since like this podcast started, that there's like been some, you know, blue state-ish governors who were doing vaguely promising stuff who then walked it back, like Newsom caving to the pressure of the movie industry to make filming possible again. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like, I'm sort of getting the vibe that we're trapped between two very bad outcomes, which is one of them is basically, you know, we will never reopen. We will never return to normal because it pleases, you know, some ne- nebulous policy or some, you know, a nebulous faction that, like, we're all stuck inside. Um, and a lot of that comes down to, like, you know, they're just not putting out the number of vaccines that would be needed to, like, completely restart the economy and the other their thing and you know we sort of started getting that vibe like way back in like january february of the biden administration potentially being like well you know now that the democrat is in charge mission accomplished the pandemic is over and the way I the way I can see it is like we are not skirting between that very well, and things like this are going to be the result because people are like, okay, the economy is opening back up. I can do whatever I want now, um, even though I don't have the vaccine yet, and or maybe I do, and I'm going to assume that every single person yeah. because and it's really noteworthy just want to point out that one of the groups that got the vax understandably because i mean hey not gonna knock it i'm in that group were food service workers yeah which includes restaurant workers that's not exactly i mean i'm i'm not gonna lie that's how i pay my rent but i don't really see a scenario where me getting you your fish and chips is essential to people not dying. Yeah. I mean, it's only essential because basically we refuse to do anything else with, you know, our food logistics system. Um, Like, there is no... There is a capacity to just move everyone to delivery like, say, they did in in China and a lot of countries that got this shit under control. There's no there's no infrastructure for that. We can't even contemplate doing something like that because I mean 
who needs socialism, man? <laughs> who needs infrastructure yeah. when I can have a Denny's? Yes, yes, it is the duty of the Denny's server to die for your grand slam. Um, there's no two ways about it. Well, yeah, that that's why we don't pay them enough that they can even pay their rent here in California. Like, mm-hmm. well, and and <laughs> teachers. Like, it makes sense for healthcare workers to be at the top of the list, because no fucking shit. But teachers, unless you plan on vaccinating all the students, that's just... What the fuck? Well, yeah. as I said earlier, haven't you heard? Like, teachers can have the best fucking immune systems on the planet. They usually do, because they get, like, the latest and greatest in designer bugs every season that's not going to stop the classroom from being a biowar lab but you see as i said earlier with our great fantabulous president children can't spread it to adults don't you know that's true that's true (sighs) except it's not true at all (laughs) um the uh, i wish i had a source for this um but I was reading a story recently about, you know, B117 variant. One of the reasons it spreads so goddamn well is because it disproportionately infects kids. And well, you know, you know how kids are. Yes. Oh yeah. And that's why they're rushing. I mean, this came up in the interview we did, like, fucking last summer on Mm -hmm. reopening the schools. It's like the reason they're rushing that is because that's how our society has structured childcare is we need schools to keep the children occupied so the parents can be good proles and, like, die for number. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got to warehouse the kids, so that's... Line goes up. Number climbs. All that that fun stuff. That logic must explain a lot of decisions this administration makes. Uh... It certainly explained a lot of the decisions um, the last administration made, too. Like, this is is kind of a bipartisan thing. Like, there's no... There... Is no real material support for actually solving this crisis. We're just kind of muddling through, even worse than like the British do, and hoping that somehow, you know, we only walk away with like, you know, half a million dead, three quarter of a million dead. And like, when I predicted that sort of thing way back when, I wasn't happy about it. It's just, you know, I could see where things were going. Well, I would would dispute that we're doing it worse than the British, solely because even at the worst of the Trump administration, there were never 10 quid rebates for going out to a pub and sitting down and having a meal inside. Oh, yeah. Like... The, the British response is worse than the American response, solely in that the United States took around nine months to fumble its way towards, okay, we're going to make the poorest die for the rich, 
in that the British response immediately was going, neat, we're gonna, like, sacrifice the poors and the old people and great carload lots so the city of London can get a hard-on. <laughs> well, I mean, you kill two birds with one stone. All these poors are a problem. So if they die, great. And if we keep the economy going while the poors die and can't riot, even better. Yeah. And now that, you know, the pandemic isn't cooping everyone up, they want to, like, you know, ban protests forever um, so that they don't have to hear about what the fuck they did to the British public. Yeah. They are doing what, I mean, if Trump was a competent fascist, he would have done something along the lines of what Boris Johnson has done in the United Kingdom. Oh, yeah. Like, shit's, yeah, like, Scottish separatism, like, Scottish independence and Welsh independence become very, like, compelling arguments when the other option is being locked in the room with the Tories. <laughs> I mean, hell, yeah. even, like, the conflict in Northern Ireland is starting back up because... <sighs> Should her get off the pot? Like, you know, the UK has, like, no interest in upholding the Good Friday Agreement beyond, like, some vague, oh, we're holding it up, we're holding it up. And it's like, no, you're not. But even the Tories don't actually want Ulster anymore. It's so dumb. Like, they're being shitbirds about this when there really isn't any political will in the British mainland to actually fight another round of the Troubles. Well, yeah. the thing is, Ulster and every other like random piece of land the British still have is the last remnant of the crown that was their empire. And the, the crown's still there, even if it's lost some jewels, as long as they've got some bits and pieces and drabbles of it. Sure, they don't want the people there, they just want, like, the concept of owning Northern Ireland, but, you know, they still want it, <laughs> for some reason. Well, yeah, you I know, mean, it's... we could have something that bad in the U.S., so, you know, counting our blessings slightly, that the American response was not actively psychotic, as yeah. opposed to passively psychotic, but, you know, this is more of that shit, and... It's not actually good for the economy. Well, you see, if you want it to be actively psychotic, you'd need, like, law enforcement and infrastructure that you can trust to reasonably function. And, like, the United States is huge, so that's not really a thing. You you can't be actively psychotic to such a big place when you don't have the resources. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of active psychotic bullshit... Apparently, Amazon does have a sense of shame, kind of, sort of, in a very, like, measurable and elaboratory sense of the word. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it's only in reply to, like, you know, someone in power. 
Because, you know. They apologized for something, but what did they apologize for? Oh, yeah, so they apologized for, um, so that there have been, like, a number of, like, tweets and not just tweets, but even, like, a report from Vice News that was like, hey, look, Amazon warehouse workers are pissing in bottles and shitting in bags because they're not allowed to take bathroom breaks because that's not profitable. Here's some real fucking 19th century sweat house bullshit going on. And Amazon, like, went on with their Twitter and did some stupid shit posting about how that totally wasn't a thing happening. And... Yeah. yeah. So this, like, they kind of admitted, okay, yeah, you're right. We actually are making people piss in bottles because a bunch of people posted pictures of bottles filled with piss. Whoops. <sighs> Social media apparently <laughs> yep. allows other people to post, not just the companies. Who knew? Yeah. <sighs> and, of course, like, it didn't really help that, like, everyone was kind of sick of you know, the brand ambassadors pretending to be, like, real people. Like, hell, I mean, I've got a, um, <laughs> I've got one of those tags in my, um, in my social media right now, simply because, you know, I can't resist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is, you know, this is Amazon shit in the bat. That shit's fun. Oh, yeah. But it's, yeah, that, yeah. And it's like, you know, this is kind of the reason why Amazon um, is dealing with a union crisis right now. Um, which. Crisis of your capitalist. <laughs> so. Should we talk about that? We should talk about Just- that. Yeah, we should. Especially because the ballots are, as of time of recording, being counted. And current um, estimated voter turnout after Amazon's attorneys had enough time to dispute certain ballots for reasons that totally look nothing like what's happened in Georgia recently. Um, Mm -hmm. Is around 55% of the workforce, which is, you know... American presidential elections levels of turnout, yeah. I guess. And it's like... It's actually pretty good for a labor election under the NLRB. This is not a bad number. Yeah. Like, what would really worry me is if they had, like, 98% turnout or something. Because that would that would probably imply coercion somewhere down the line. Or, like, 30% turnout for the opposite direction yeah. of coercion. Yeah. Like, either... Like, there's two ways you can rig a vote. You can dissuade people from showing up at all, or you can hover over them and make sure they vote exactly the way you want, and make sure they vote. So that, you know, no matter how many people vote of their own free will to join the union, there'll be enough who are terrified of losing their job that, well, it doesn't matter. Yep. So, and 
one thing we do want to stress, I mean, at this point, the ballots are being counted. This is, this means, you know, regardless of how the election goes, that at least a quarter of the workforce at the Bessemer plant is probably supportive of unionization. Yeah. At least, if we're assuming a majority of that 55% turnout, which is enough that if they just said fuck it and did a wildcat strike and happened to be listening to this podcast and got this idea from who knows where, um, it would probably shut the plant down. Um, just saying. But even so, like... I do want to point out, Amazon has been following the rest of the union-busting playbook to a T. So if this vote fails, they will probably replace every single person at the Bessemer Distribution Center within six months. For one reason or another. Yeah. Every single one. It does not matter if you voted against the union. You will probably be fired or transferred or both. I mean, you voted because they collaborated in creating a workspace where other people felt they had the power to create a vote like this. Yeah, no, you're at fault, not the company. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, just want to put that out there of if you are someone who happens to be down there and things don't go the way it does because the NLRB and how this shit works is a bit of a fucking mess in a lot of ways. You got other options. You may want to consider them while you still can. Yeah. And like, you know, if y'all do win, like, you gotta keep it up because these people are probably going to stall on your fucking contract. They're going to try and drag it out for like years and years and years um, trying to avoid doing the actual contract negotiation. And if you let them, they can be very successful at it. And, you know, this is assuming you win or lose, however the outcome goes, a lot of people are behind you. In fact, recent polling found something like, what, 76%? That can't be right. Of the American public are supportive of the union drive. Mm. Wait, that is. That is right. Okay, that number was correct. Um, 69% yeah. nice of likely voters. It makes sense. Amazon's never been, like, popular part part of the reason amazon isn't that popular is besides you know poor piss takes on twitter <laughs> is that it doesn't really have roots in the communities that it hires from and on top of that well we've got a fantabulously pro pro union president mm -hmm. by the standards of american politics yeah and it's like it's important to note that like most people even people who like use amazon stuff regularly it's not oh i love amazon amazon's great it's no it's amazon's a monopoly or they're close enough that you know you're dragged into their fucking ecosystem and so it's like that's fine i guess i tolerate it um i wish they wouldn't lose so many of my fucking packages though that kind of thing. Like, 
normal people do not love Amazon. They tolerate it. And while that's probably good enough for Bezos, yeah. It's not enough. It's not enough. I mean, it's like, if nothing else, something, some other company will come along and eat them should Bezos ever become, you know, fat, lazy, complacent. (sighs) Or, you know, they get broken up. (laughs) Which is probably coming. Maybe. I mean, this this timeline's Lex Luthor has dodged a lot of bullets. Oh, yeah. (sighs) But, you know, if the Bessemer plant wins and those workers get unionized, this is one of those facilities Amazon cannot shut down without seriously hurting their business operations. Yeah. They can't pull a Starbucks. It's like, it's one thing to move a store across town and make you reapply for your job. Uh, That's the Walmart way. Um, It's another thing entirely to relocate an entire logistics center um, just so you can get out of your union obligation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's, it's great. Oh, yeah. Shall we move on? Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be a good way to start off anything. Though this one's especially, like, a good example of just enjoying a lot of belly aching (laughs) from the Masters of the Universe. Oh, yeah. Like, China has apparently figured out that they can just turn on and off foreign bank access to help control their economy. As most countries do, have done, can do, I mean... Yeah. Hi, this thing called American history... I mean, or we British weren't history. always, you know, so internationalist in our trade policy. We had significant periods where we just basically went hermit kingdom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's not like the British Empire didn't play games. Oh, yeah. So, we should probably get into what actually happened. Oh, yeah. So China has issued new rules around that. And, you know, they're the kind of things that are there to protect their currency's value, as well as their ability to actually fuck around with currency um, yeah. and maintain their current terms for export. I mean, it's like a lot of countries in the Eurozone, uh, in the Eurozone learn to chagrin that if you don't control your monetary policy, whoever does has a lot of leverage over you, and they can make you do whatever they want. And China, China is simply not up for that. Shockingly enough. And so they kind of want to prevent, you know, 
even the remote possibility of that happening. So, let's see here. Um, Well, it's just like, the thing that's funny about it is this is another like, because again, like, this policy is not that unusual. Mm-hmm. As far as like currency controls are like granted, they've sort of fallen out of favor, starting with Milton Friedman and Margaret Thatcher and Reagan and all that bullshit. But you know, for most of history, currency controls are pretty fucking normal. And for places that aren't totally like black pilled on economics, they're also pretty normal. This isn't like bad policy on any level. This is just you know, what you do because it is good for protecting the value of your economy and keeping things functioning in a way that is, you know, vaguely resembling a functional economy. Yeah. It's functional. I'm a dozen policy that only matters in the news cycle because Cold War II electric boogaloo is on and the financial titans of the current order are not amused by the world's, like, biggest real market telling them to shove it occasionally. Yeah. I mean, most of this is basically they just don't want... What's happening here is they, they don't want capital influx to, like, overwhelm their own systems. Um, because, like, you know, it's any port in a storm, and at some point, you know, China, if it has any sense, is gonna eventually go, yeah, no, fuck off, we're full. Um, I mean, it's not gonna do that forever, but it is called for sometimes. And there is a certain point at which, if you are an economy... uh, at least under, you know, something vaguely resembling functional capitalism, that you do want to say, hey, let's not be absorbing more currency than we can handle because this is going to literally actually break shit. As opposed to the fake maybe break shit that keeps, like, Milton Friedman's ghost awake at night. Um, Yeah, that's... Like, they have entirely valid reasons to set their policy this way. It's just, most countries don't do this anymore. Because, you know, again, the obsession with Milton Freeman and all those other ghouls. China ain't having any of that. (laughs) Well, and let's be real, even Milton Friedman admitted in one of his own writings that a large chunk of the motivation that he had behind certain policy recommendations was to keep economic power rooted in the United States. Oh, yeah. And it's like, let's not pretend that we don't do the same thing. Like, if you're a petro state, um, you know, using the dollar for most of your currency needs, then you are completely at the mercy of of our Treasury Department, of our Federal Reserve. You are entirely dependent on our monetary policy, and whether or not that's good for you, uh, that's not our problem. 
Um, if your oligarchs ask really nicely, we might consider, you know, filing a report to maybe consider changing the scheduling of blah, 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 blah. Uh, no. <laughs> that's, that's basically what happens. If you don't control your monetary policy, are you really sovereign? <laughs> and in a lot of cases, U.S. power relies on that answer being, no, we're dependent on the United States or one of their allies. That's just the long and short of it. And that's what is kind of funny about this, is watching these guys flip their shit at being told no. And that's all there is to this, really, at the end of the day, because this isn't that unusual in terms of policy. Um, that does get us to stuff that is very uniquely American in some of the worst ways possible. Uh, fuck me. The, that fucking retention pond busting um, in Florida. Yeah, we should talk about that. If Just a bit. Yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, it's like, uh, there was a scare about it being radioactive. It's it's not radioactive. In some ways, it's actually kind of worse. Um, it's worse because it's not radioactive. It is fertilizer. Fertilizer is bad. You no, um, do not... Not meant for <laughs> human consumption. Just be frank. It's not meant for you to drink that. No, no, that's not meant to be there. No, why? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's fertilizer runoff. It's highly concentrated uh, fertilizer runoff from, I believe, both production and agricultural use. And the worry is that it's going to get into the into Tampa Bay and, you know, fuck the um, the local ecology. Because, you know, what happens is the algae feed on it, um, you know, algae blooms, and then we got red tide for the entire beach season. Um, you know, dead fish, waters turn red, everything just, like, completely shits itself. And this is at a time when, you know, tourism isn't doing so hot right now. Because, surprisingly, not everyone wants to die at Disney World. So, runoff makes death zone in the ecology. Ecology makes death zone in the economy. Hooray. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's like, I mean, the thing with radioactivity is, like, you can, there are things you can do. Um, this is like right away. The fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like there. Oh wait, this isn't Fallout. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that um, right away doesn't work on organophosphate poisoning. <laughs> oh shit. 
Uh, and like speaking of bad actors in the wastewater treatment process um oh this is a horrible segue um so you know all those ghouls who have been fishing around for like getting their uh, their precious pipeline projects up and running and damn the consequences um Enbridge I think Mm-hmm. Ambridge, really, it's a lot of them. It's just, you know, Ambridge is taking the lead on this one. Um, they have sued Unicorn Riots, um, among others, to basically get them to hand over, you know, anything they know about, well, what nefarious bullshit they're up to. Because, basically, they... W- Basically, what they want is for Unicorn Riot to go away. Um, it's a slap suit. Yeah, it's um, how, how dare you report on our evil schemes? You're not. You're a report. Mm-hmm. If you were a real reporter, you'd be talking about how we're not just evil, but we're also good for the environment. Somehow, we swear. And because mm-hmm. of that, um, our latest evil scheme is to stop you, and it's very blatant and very evil. Now, please stop. Or else. Yeah. The, this is sounding a lot less, like, a lot less Fallout and a lot more Captain Planet. Yeah. Maybe with, a, like, a touch of Scooby-Doo thrown in, for good measure. Oh, yeah. Like, these people, they do not want any scrutiny into what it is they do. And especially what it is they don't do. Like, y'all probably remember, um, the radioactive um, brine scandal that we talked about several times on this show. Um, This is but one of the many things that Embridge is scared they'll have to, you know, talk about, have to face. um, If, you know, they succeed or even if they fail. Like, they don't want... uh, They do not want anyone reporting on this stuff. And so it's... And this isn't unusual to the fossil fuel industry. There's, like, states that oh, have yeah. explicitly banned reporting on agriculture for the same reason. Oh, yeah. Like, under, tex- is... like, under Texas law, it's considered defamation of beef. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, what, what you're telling me is... Major corporations have lobbied so hard that, like, Scooby-Doo's impossible. They get away with poisoning, killing, destroying the environment, and just causing untold damage that will cost countless lives. And the meddling kids can't even, like, film them doing it. (laughs) Oh, you can. You'll just be sued forever. Um, You don't have to worry about monsters. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just lawyers. Once you... Once you pull the mask off the monster, uh, the monster's lawyers show up and sue you for $11 billion. Great. And they impound the um, the Scooby van. (laughs) Goodbye, Mr. Machine. Yep. And arrest Shaggy for dealing weed. 
Okay, that yeah. part's probably true, but <laughs> let's be real. Put down Scooby Doo for like I don't know, talking aggressively at someone. Yeah, a cop much. saw a dog. <laughs> I mean, oh, God. do they need an excuse? <laughs> like, let's be real there. Um, Oof. all you need is a justification there if you're a cop is just a shot dog really loudly. And it's like they're. This is mostly just a fishing expedition. It's just they're counting on basically them not being able to survive the lawsuit. It's lawfare. Yeah. And it's like, it's helpful to them that a lot of Unicorn Riot is based in states where they allow slap lawsuits basically there are some states who have laws against it and for very good reason um but in many of these places those laws do not exist great yeah which allows companies to go fuck it we're gonna drown you in paperwork until you go bankrupt because fuck you we have fuck you jeff bezos money or not even Jeff Bezos money, just enough money to drown you. I mean, if you don't have enough money to wage lawfare, do you even have money? Pretty much. Mm-hmm. That's what they bank on. So that's a thing that, you know, please throw some money into Unicorn Riot's kitty. Oh, yeah. They're gonna they've, need it. they've done, like, amazing... They've busted Nazis. They've straight up busted actual Nazis. So, come on. (laughs) That can't be bad. Yeah. And, like, on top of that, you know, I mean, fuck, they did us a good turn way back in the day covering uh, the George Floyd protests. We should pay them back for it, if nothing else. (laughs) I think they also did KXL, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, they've been in a lot of things. Um, I mostly found out about them because of the whole George Floyd protests way back in the day, but um, they've been around and they don't deserve this. Plus, if we throw money at them, it'll cost the big corporation money. I mean, just a little (laughs) bit, but it will. You know, if, if people can invest true. ludicrous amounts of money into game stock and have their diamond hands, I'm certain they can, you know, throw some money at Unicorn Riot to uh, cost the big oil company some lunch money. <laughs> Pretty much. That's the plan. I think that gets us over to... So, oh, the thing we've been hinting at this entire episode. Oh, yes. Everything the Ever Given's Ever Given. Yep. So remember I got away the glorious the days when boat was stuck? <laughs> that had consequences. And to be fair, this was kind of an existing problem. Um, 
basically a lot of a lot of global shipping has been just completely fucked since like basically since we started the show way back in January last year like it is unbelievably fucked and just having to divert ships for like six days or make them wait in the Suez Canal uh, queue for a little bit has completely fucked everything. Um, Much less having to go around Cape Horn the way a lot of ships have been. By the way, those TikTok shanty people, you were way out of the curve there. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. And so it's like, it's very much, it's very much a situation where, like, a lot of the fallouts of this crisis had, uh, isn't really understood yet, because, like, a lot of this stuff is, you know, insurance claims, and insurance claims take time to process, and there were, you know, 80-something ships stuck in line behind the Ever Given, and then there were a bunch more that had to divert, you know, ships that, um, when they made the decision, go, no, go, they went, well, you know, that boat can be stuck in there for weeks, maybe we can't go, or maybe we have to divert it to Panama, or, you know, any number of things that, like, disrupted this, you know, frictionless system of bullshit. Like, just because, you know, boat is unstuck doesn't mean anyone is out of the woods. Uh, And let's not forget, we're dealing already with things like a global ship, a global chip shortage, which impacts everything Mm -hmm. from iPhones to iPads and anything that has an iPhone or an iPad in it, which is a rather distressing amount of things at this point, actually. Um, (laughs) And this complicates it because this shortage could have been alleviated-ish kind of slightly, or at least not be so bad if, you know, supply chains continued in an uninterrupted fashion and the deliveries of the chips actually arrived in a timely way, but, you know, that's not happening. The spherical cow has grown lumps, and those lumps are spreading. Yeah, pretty much. Like, what we've learned about, like, the chip shortage is it's not just, like, the big um, high-end stuff, you know, like, the CPUs and such. It's, like, it's little things. Like, the stuff you stick on the shitty little 200 nanometer, uh, not 200 nanometer, 200 millimeter um, wafers, like, Right now, what's holding up a lot of things is the fact that you cannot get display driver chips for love or money. It's a little chip, 16 nanometer, um, costs like a US dollar, and you cannot get it. And pretty much everything having to do with, like, embedded display port or LVDS uses one of these fucking things. And, you, like I said, you cannot get it for love or money. Like, the allocation is already spoken for. 
and that's why we're in the mess we're in. Like, not only is, like, the really expensive high-speed logic held up, but it's also little things that you don't think matter, like little display controller bits. And this is true across every industry, too. Like, auto parts. Like, General Motors, for example, has announced they're expecting to eat two billion with a b dollars of shit this year purely because of supply chain disruptions yeah they can't get the little chip that makes the displays turn on or do anything useful and so even if they had like everything else and i'm gonna tell you right now they don't uh that's just kind of the nature of the beast because they did not get in line like everyone is fucked in the industry they can't get the uh, they can't get the chips to make the displays turn on which means they can't actually ship the vehicles as they are which means that they've got a bunch of vehicles that they've invested a lot of money into that they can't sell because there's a speedometer there's no entertainment system there's no nothing it doesn't work. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sure you could technically power on the vehicle that way, but I'm pretty sure, legally speaking, you are supposed to have a speedometer that works. I <laughs> so. But it's kind of an essential function in any car, the ability to look at your speedometer and go, oh, hey, it looks like I'm speeding. I hope I have enough money to, like, get away with that. yeah yeah pretty much so if you can't get these little display driver chips um you're kind of fucked even if you can get literally everything else such a great thing that we decided to make everything weird electronic displays instead of having you know mechanical wonders you know that we can produce more easily don't require these massive global supply chains in the current economy (laughs) be responsible for necessary functions you know we, we could have but it's like a total or even not system or even not do the thing that what was it a certain bernard sanders described as corporations who want to just put factories on a giant barge and ship it to wherever is cheapest yeah i mean they'd probably do that if there wasn't a shortage of ships like literally <laughs> yeah if they could find a way to do manufacturing offshore to get around labor laws, probably would. Yeah, slave labor on flags of convenience. I could see it. Oh, wait. Yeah. That's a thing, isn't it? Um. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. That was dark. Oh. They're probably doing it. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> Yeah, I but, laugh because I, mean, I want to scream. When you think you're welcome to you're creating innovations for just, capitalism, but no, they already have them. <laughs> it's just a new version of the same goddamn bullshit called the thing all the way back to let's put a collar on this guy's neck and shove him onto a boat and sell him to a plantation. But now that, mm-hmm. but now you can have him do work while you're shipping him. Capitalism breeds innovation. Uh, innovation is my passion. 
fuck. Yeah, go capitalism. Yeah, that's kind of the, yeah. So, uh, let just watch this space is I guess what we can say about this whole thing because this economy is already in a bad way and having one of the most vital trade arteries on the planet clogged up can't be good for it. Yeah. Which brings us to our last word. We would like to formally and officially, as much as one can for a podcast, declare that our thesis for the American economy will be known as Vincent Adult Man Economics. And what makes you see that? Because the American economy as it currently functions is three bubbles in a trench coat. Which are functionally the same as three children pretending to be an adult human male dating a pink cat agent. Yup. Yup. Now, if holding a talking horse could pass the alcohol. (laughs) God damn it. So, what we're referring to is the fact that we've got several bubbles that seem to be sort of holding up the American economy. <sighs> the biggest one, which... Quick. Yeah. So the biggest one we've got is... And this one's really obvious, because it's the one that's paying my wages and is also probably going to be the most visible is the Uh reopening bubble, which is people who have a paltry amount of stimulus money, because let's be real, the money the U.S. has given out for stimulus is a fucking joke compared to every other country. Period. Go fuck yourself, Jason Furman. I don't care about percentages of GDP. Um, You know, people are spending that money, and you also have remote workers who have not been allowed to go outside for a while, and they want to go outside and spend that money on getting a fucking crab and chase it with a plate of oysters while washing it down with a 32-ounce cocktail that will leave them way too fucking drunk to drive. Oh, yeah. Gotta make work for Uber? Yeah. I mean, it's like what else is America if you can't get smashed in a fucking tourist trap? <laughs> so that's, you know, the reopening bubble, in a nutshell, is people spending money that they would have been spending otherwise, but very quickly, which is not actually good for the economy, because then they're going to be out of that money. Because, you know, there's umpteen million studies from behavioral economics and all these other fields that show if you give people giant piles of cash they're much more likely to blow through it pretty quickly than you know prudently parcel it out see you know every college campus ever for details or every military base for specifics yeah i mean it's like i know i know i blew through each of my stimulus checks of a couple of weeks And, you know, I'm not alone on that. Like, some of us tucked it away 
but even, you know, the most aggressive saver is going to, they're going to, they're going to spend it on something now that, you know, you're allowed to go back in public again. I can name the number of people who haven't splurged with their stimulus money on one hand and one finger that I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this is a thing. It's (laughs) going to probably just prop up the economy through the summer and maybe on the outside edge to I'd say the holiday season at the most optimistic. I really don't think there's much gas in the tank there. I think there's enough to make it to like maybe December it's all yeah. or at least enough for people to like make some stupid credit card purchases that they think they can pay off, you know. Yeah. It, yeah. It's all just fumes. It's all just a mirage that's going to sputter and die in short order. There are more that there's more than one bubble in play though, I think. Oh yeah. That's just the one everyone can see. Yeah, there's everyone's favorite, interestingly now legitimate bubble. Bitcoin. Yeah. <sighs> Cryptocurrency in general. Um, NFTs. Like, there are a whole bunch of ways for you to waste your money collecting um, Dunning-Krugerrands. I prefer um, the term <laughs> fucking black magic, but, you know. That's yeah, controversial. I mean, at least black magic, you know, in theory, black magic, like actual magic, would be rad and cool and interesting. Uh, this is just like digital <laughs> signatures and like ones and zeros that like you can't even turn into like anything remotely enjoyable or useful without the aid of massive people who are for some reason buying into your bullshit. Yeah. But you see, that's what makes it black magic, because it is making money appear out of thin air. Well, I mean, for the most part, it's making money appear out of the electrical good. <laughs> eh, potato, potato. Yeah, I mean, it's mostly, like, a lot of this stuff is people um, making lots of money based on uh, pump and dump schemes. Um, NFTs are primarily... And we'll probably get into this when we do the Bitcoin episodes we've been finding to do for a while. But NFTs are basically um, shoot X amount of money into space so that you um, can say that you own one of several copies of a link to an IPFS file that is probably not hosted anymore. Um, because they only seed it for, like, several weeks. So, if it's like um, BitTorrent. If a file on IPFS is not seeded, it does not exist. Because nobody on the network has it. That's the definition of being a seed. So, your asset may not actually exist. The company that hosts a link to it may not exist either in a few months time but for a brief moment we've created value for our shareholders somehow not not you Mm -hmm. the buyer generally the shareholders yeah 
It's like like gold rush <laughs> market schemes, but you don't even have gold or food at the end of the day. You just have this link that used to go to I don't know some like Grimes artwork. Hooray! Hooray! And the artwork itself will be everywhere on the internet within like two days of you buying the link. <laughs> yeah. Good job. I mean, it's like you bought a link to something. You you're not buying ownership rights. Um, it's not even legally clear if you own anything with an NFT, but I would say no, you don't. Um, because like if you buy a piece of artwork, um, through the normal method, you will at least get some sort of sales contract that says, yeah, you own the thing. Um, you will usually also get a physical object with it that proves that you own this thing. Um, and instead of getting a link to a JPEG of the Mona Lisa. Yeah, which may or may not exist in a few months. Like, you may be holding on to a link that goes nowhere. <laughs> well, um... And then we add in the stock market bubble, which is, you know, the U.S. stock market somehow defying all logic and reason and managing to retain value. Not just retaining, of... it's climbing. I think it's less of a bubble and more of a sentient slime consuming all in its path that, for some reason, we worship. You're not wrong. I mean, it's like, we hit, like, 33k? Something like that? Yeah, I mean, it's like, if it had, like, anything to do with the real economy at this point, um, I'd be like, yeah, um, uh, it should not be at 33k if it had anything to do with the real economy. Oh, yeah. That or we would not be talking about this. Um, we'd be like, yeah, it's a boom, but, you know, these things go bust eventually. Um, this is not the triumph of capitalism. <laughs> um, the final triumph of capitalism, I should say. <laughs> um... But it doesn't, and so that 33k looks less, much less, like, you know, a pointer to a stable, healthy economy and more. We have nowhere else to put this money. We're just gonna, you know, piss it away. I mean, there's always other places to put money, whether they're wise or not, but we've been over yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. That this is reaching that point of this is a really, really just Wall Street's put out their own material saying that this is a goddamn dumb idea. So yeah. they know this is stupid. They know this is not a thing they should be doing with their fucking money, but they're doing it because they don't have any other option. Line. The logic of capital and maximizing shareholder value says, I don't give a fuck if you're going to light yourself on fire. 
line must go up, even if the inevitable result of the line going up is the line catching fire and the entire world with it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Also, what's this? They just don't care. What's this uh, new growing mortgage crisis? What's up with that? So apparently somebody's actually taking Mataglacius seriously because there are large real estate holding companies that are propping up across the United States of America and many other countries coming to a neighborhood near you who are increasingly taking charge of the rental market. Yeah. Ah, so it's like the usual suspects, like BlackRock Capital and all those other ghouls who who hoovered up properties way back um, in the immediate aftermath of the 2008 crash. What we really need right now is not only a speedrun on every single obnoxious, nonsense bubble tactic, but also a repeat of the last one that brought the economy to a screeching halt. Yeah. Yes. And this time it's not even... It's not, you know, regular people who just happen to hold the bag, and if they can hold out long enough, you know, they'll still get to keep their house. Um, you know, assuming a robo-signer doesn't steal it from them. Um, this is... The institutionals are holding on to real estate that is overvalued. Um, like, that's all they got. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you can kind of see why this is where a lot of these stresses are coming from because, like, you know, rents are going up um, in a lot of places. Um, And that's, you know, in turn pushing people, oh, well, you know, we need to get a house while it's still possible. I mean, I'm kind of in that boat right now myself where we're staring down the barrel of, do we want to live in this apartment or do we want to just, you know, get a house? And it's like, we're in a situation where we might be able to get a house, but the prices are going up and they are going up at a catastrophically unsustainable rate. Um, Places that I would think would go for like, you know, 250 are going for like 400, 500, 600. What I now consider reasonable to pay is something like 450. And, you know, a year ago, I would have said that paying 350 for a house was completely insane. Uh, this would be the Portland market for reference. And it's, that is not sustainable. That, that looks very much like 2006, 2007, all over again. Something is wrong. I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. Something is wrong. Especially when the rest of the economy is in utter dog shit conditions. Yeah. It feels like they're just trying to do what other institutionals are doing with Bitcoin, with real estate. Like, if they can artificially pump the demand 
and get a bunch of other people to hold the bag at the end of the day, it'll still be quote-unquote profit, even if they, like, you know, set the rest of the economy on fire in the process. Who cares? You'll have your money. Even if that money becomes worthless because you've set up such a huge set of dominoes to just I'll be gone, you'll be gone. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. They won't give a shit because they're going to get away with it, or at least that's their stupid fucking plan. Uh, I'm so glad that capitalism has bred this innovation into existence. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going hard on the we're going to make it maybe to Christmas. And then Q1 2022 is going to be terrifying. Mm Mm-hmm. And don't forget, we've still got plenty of political crises on the hook for this year and next. So, none of this is going to help. Yeah. Oh, no. The horrors of the world like, have such sights to show us. <laughs> Where we're going, we don't need ISIS. <laughs> <laughs> and we're Fuck. already living there. So, you know, uh, if you want to support the people who are going to help you find your way in the new abyssal apocalypse that we are living in, toss in a fiver at our Patreon, Chop Shop Economics, patreon.com slash in Yoda order. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, from... All of us at Chop Chop Economics. Um, thanks for listening. Um, and um, good luck out there. Be safe, everybody. <laughs>